0: Welcome to the Surviving to Thriving podcast that helps women leaders in nonprofits get out of survival mode and thrive in both leadership and life. I'm your host, Leadership Development Coach Kathy Archer, and I help women leaders enjoy impactful leadership. Do you ever feel sometimes that you are the only one challenged with what you're going through? The crisis hits, the drama erupts, somebody says something, you're overloaded with the work, and you're like, oh my God, I just wish somebody understood what I was going through. You know what? Many of the leaders in the nonprofits are going through something similar as you, and sometimes we don't realize that, and so we feel very isolated and alone. In today's podcast, you are going to meet Mary Beth Finney. And Mary Beth works for a nonprofit in Calgary. She's a program manager there and she has grown through the ranks like many of us have. She started out frontline and she moved up into supervisor and then the coordinator and then the manager. And now she's coming into the podcast today to help you get a sense of what's going on in her mind. And my guess is it's similar to what's going on inside of your mind sometimes. But what Mary Beth has done is she's learned how to manage those thoughts. And you know that as I teach you in the training library, as I do these podcasts, as you learn and grow, part of the biggest challenge for us is learning to manage those inner thoughts that we have, learning to take what hits us, stress, chaos, uh, frustration, anger, fear, and go, whoa, 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 How do I stay composed? How do I show up confidently? How do I show up and feel that I am competent to handle this? We need to manage what's going on in our head and that's why I teach you the inner guidance cycle. Remember, pause, ponder, pivot and proceed. As you listen to Mary Beth today, I want you to think about those steps, pausing. What does Mary Beth do to pause? How does she ponder? What are some of the tools she uses to ponder? And then what does she use to get back into action as she sort of shifted her train of thought to have the courage to deal with what she does every day? Because you know, what doesn't really matter what type of organization you're in. When you are dealing with these nonprofit organizations, there's always something going on. There's always something happening. And so right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but that's not the first crisis we've hit. So without further ado, I'm going to transition into the interview with Mary Beth. But again, keep your ears open for the steps of the inner guidance cycle. Pause, ponder, pivot and proceed because you'll hear Mary Beth talk about all of those as we experience what it's like in the mind of a nonprofit leader. My guess is sometimes you think you are the only one struggling with some of the challenges that you have and trying to figure this out all on your own. Well, today, as we talk to Mary Beth, we are going to learn some different things about how perhaps we're all struggling with some similar things. And I'm really looking forward to Mary Beth sharing some of the ideas that she's learned and some of the strategies that she has to manage all of the stuff that goes on. So welcome, Mary Beth. Hi, Kathy. Thank you. Yeah, so Mary Beth, we you already know she works in a nonprofit. But when Mary Beth and I were sort of getting ready to do this podcast, we were talking about oh my goodness, nonprofits are so crisis driven. So, what are some of the challenges that you faced in your organization or in your sort of career around what are the fires, the crisis, the dramas that maybe you've had to deal with?
1: Well, of course, we're all dealing with COVID currently. Um, however, it's absolutely not the first crisis we've ever had to overcome. You know, we've had unfortunate circumstances such as death, suicide, um, you know, tornado warnings or extreme weather conditions, uh, individuals going missing, AWOLs. So definitely lots of different uh, challenges that arise in nonprofit uh, with the work we do and the people we serve. So although this one is quite different, and definitely the first world pandemic I've ever experienced, um, it still kind of captures the same challenges and kind of almost the same responses that we've seen in all the previous crises we've dealt with as well.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the important things as we kind of talked today, I think you're right. COVID stands out as a big thing when you were when you were talking about some of the things that you know, people gone missing so i started my journey in this world as in group homes and so i was working with group homes with adolescents and i very vividly remember running down the back alley chasing an adolescent when i was pregnant no less <laughs> and trying to get them to come back and yeah you know, there was lots of times that kids would go awol or missing and you know that was a big crisis or we were talking the other day too about the the funding like at the beginning of this year, not you're not in a children's program, but in the beginning of this year, the children's programs were just hit in Alberta with a whole new funding structure and they had to reapply. And that just throws things out of whack. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, crisis comes in all shapes and sizes. And, um, you know, but really what I think I've recognized over my career is it's all still the same. It's still a crisis. And your response, you know, is similar, whether uh, just a little bit, you know, tailored towards what that situation
0: is. Yeah. So we were going to talk today about how you deal with crisis. And, you know, as we prepared for this, this call, we kind of realized there are some things that you do every time a crisis hits, no matter what. And the very first one that you talked about was that you step back. Tell us what that is all about. Um, so, instantly, you know, you get that phone call
1: or you get that email, and it's, you know, high importance. Oh my goodness, this is the situation. And usually the person sending that is quite panicked and overwhelmed. Um, so, you know, whether that's okay. Um, thank you. Uh, Let me get back to you in just a moment. I just need to run that by my supervisor or, you know, let me connect with the next person or I kind of take a moment to kind of uh, step back from that situation and just kind of identify, you know, how I'm feeling and how I can make sure that I'm in a response mode and not in a panic mode. Uh, Because certainly usually that person that is that initial contact of the emergency is already in that panic mode. So you kind of have to make sure that you're navigating that situation as well. So how do you, give me an example
0: of how you do that. Uh,
1: sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, that's okay. We can work with that. Let's uh, I go to my office real quick and uh, grab my response manual and kind of close the door and have a little moment of, oh okay, this is this is what's happening now. Um, or whether I say, okay, I just need to connect with this person, I'll call you right back. Um, you know, so it's, you know, just taking myself away from that moment, just for, you know, 30 seconds, one minute, just to make sure that I am in check with my own emotions and my own reaction, before I can really effectively navigate that
0: situation. So the followers that have been listening to the podcast, those who have been in my training library, my membership site, and those who have done training with me, know that this is always the first step to composure is to pause, right? Like you really got to step back. And I love that you're talking about that, where I need to be intentional about my emotions, how I'm responding to these people, uh, the energy I'm bringing, like if I'm panicked too, that's just going to create more of a, a kerfuffle. And so I need to pause. And I also love that you're like, it doesn't take long, like no. a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So it just takes a minute. You know, I, you know, little
1: excuse, let me grab my response manual. <laughs> <laughs> disconnect really quickly or let me cancel that meeting that's upcoming right uh because I know you're going to need my time for this like so I just have a quick minute uh to make sure that I'm ready uh so that I can be effective yeah
0: yeah okay so perfect that's the first step the second step that you do is you prioritize tell me what prioritizing is about um so me for me uh
1: prioritization uh always first thing is to make sure everyone's safe. Like it's just instinctively out of my mouth is everyone safe? Um, you know, I I'm such uh, to that that sometimes it's maybe not even necessary. Like oh, our phones are down. I'm like, is everyone safe? So like uh, yeah, it's just a full mind challenge. Uh, but it's you just want to make sure that everyone has thought about you know who's in the location, um, who's directly affected, and making sure everyone's safe. Because once everyone's safe, you have time to usually navigate that situation and create a really effective response plan.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that you say it's automatic, but I bet it wasn't always automatic. No, it was definitely something I had to learn. And I learned
1: from uh, my supervisors and watching them navigate crisis situations uh, and noticing that that was always kind of the first response. And then... Everything just seemed to work better from there. And it just seemed to really, um, you know, uh, control that situation so that, and everyone just felt this level of, you're right, everyone is safe. So it's okay. And we'll just deal with the next step. Yeah, yeah.
0: So when you used to do this, your automatic response, I'm guessing was, you know, oh my God, what do I need to do, 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 do? Mm -hmm. And so it's that task. You've switched it to people first. And so most of us are like the doers, especially as women. We're like, get her done, tick box, cross it off, right? That's what we like to do. And so, again, you've said this is intentional because your default would still be to start to do things, right? Absolutely. I would
1: typically say... Okay, I'm going to, you know, send an email to supervisors. I'm going to inform funding. I'm going to make sure our contract specialist is aware, uh, call the guardians, like all those things. But <laughs> typically, you don't actually have the correct information at that moment to really do all those things effectively. And, um, and then you're kind of missing that. Um, typically, I get the call, like from the person actually in the situation and you need to make sure that they're okay and they're safe and they're handling it on their end before you can really go through those next steps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So safety first relationship. And then the third one is that task, right? Working on the policies. And you said to, to me when we were talking about this podcast, you know, part of you knows that the, the, that is there for you as a guideline And so you don't have to create something new. Is that how you work? Absolutely. Like, um, especially
1: when things are crisis, you can easily miss small steps. So I always just grab policy, even though I've probably followed that policy a hundred times, I still grab it because I'm like, oh, right. It had to be in writing, that particular one, not just, um, you know, me taking the interview conversation or whatever, right? Just some small pieces that can be easily missed when something's perceived as a crisis and needs to be immediate. Um, I just grab policy and start step right through um, because then you're just, you're really sure and your energy can be moved towards getting the right information, talking to the right people and making sure everyone's okay versus trying to think of all those steps.
0: Yeah. I have some organizations and leaders that I work with who don't have their policies in place and let me tell you it creates problems. If you don't have a system that everybody follows, if you don't know what the next step is, especially in a crisis moment, then you are going to struggle. And your organization when the when the pandemic hit, actually had a pandemic plan. Absolutely. Um,
1: you know, we all senior management got called into the boardroom and it was like, all right, as of right now, we are implementing pandemic plan." We all pulled out our packages that were ready to go. We all had a role we needed to play in that. That was already designed and designated for us. And away we went. Um, and it really, although, of course, it was heightened and it was emotional and all those things, it was still... We knew what we needed to do, and we are able, I think, to effectively and quickly implement that, maybe quicker than some of the uh, agencies that might not have had that in place prior to.
0: Yeah. So just think back to your organization. I don't know, have you ever been involved in policy development, planning, writing? Uh, I have a bit um, since being in this particular agency, um,
1: continuing to improve uh, our policies. When different situations arise, we then, you know, notice the things that worked well and maybe things we can improve and continue to enhance those policies. Also, um, two years ago, I think when the OH&S really did a big changeover in Alberta and really came out with some new standards and things, I was definitely involved in writing some of those workplace safety policies, working alone safely and uh,
0: items like that, so. Uh, you just tricked my memory. I was a leader when the very first working alone legislation came out, and oh my goodness, trying to write working alone policies back then when cell phones weren't as accessible as they are now, let me tell you. <laughs> it was a whole different story, so, and and I guess that's partly what we are talking about at the beginning. Every time something new happens, there's a transition. We missed the part at the beginning when we started talking about your career journey. So tell us, how did you get into this field anyhow? Because I think it really does relate to what you were just saying a few minutes ago.
1: Um, so uh, originally, I am from Nova Scotia. And so I went to St. Mary's University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I did a Bachelor of Arts degree there. I actually majored in psychology and criminology and minored in sociology and history, because I wasn't entirely sure if I wanted to pursue an education career, or if I wanted to pursue something in human services. Um, So once I graduated, I was kind of at this crossroads where I had to choose um, where my next step would be. And so I chose an education degree, um, and I went and I got a Bachelor of Education in secondary social studies uh completed that, and right when I was getting ready for the school year to start and start substitute teaching in Nova Scotia, uh, my husband had gotten a career opportunity in Calgary. We had never been here, um, so I'd only ever been on a plane like one time in my life. Uh, so we packed everything we had, and we moved to Calgary, and he started his career, and uh, I started applying for my Alberta teaching license. Um, You know, there's always some red tape in that and having to submit lots of applications and stuff. So when I got um, all my stuff prepared that summer, getting ready for the September school year to start, I actually realized that Alberta or Calgary Board of Education, they actually prioritize Alberta taught students. For the education program, um, and once all the seats are filled with Alberta based students, they no longer accept out of province students. So I wasn't accepted uh, to CBE that year and was really disappointed. I had gone to school now for six years in university, really thought that I had this opportunity to start my career and, uh, You know, was just working part-time jobs until then. And then I luckily had a friend that actually works in my agency today still. And she offered me um, to come in and apply for a frontline position in their brain injury services program. So I did that because I did have my psychology degree in my background. So something I'm definitely interested in. Applied, got hired as a frontline staff. Uh, worked in that program for about two years before I was promoted to the uh, coordinator of that program. Did that for a few more years, and now I am a program manager and I do oversee all brain injury services and day programming at my agency.
0: So, when I was interviewing Anna Gordon in episode number 33, she's a career coach, and we were talking about how. Often our plan for our career isn't exactly how it pans out and how things happen along the way and and we transition and opportunities come and we move into different positions. If you look across the sector, lots of people don't have the traditional training or they're not in sort of the roles that they would normally have been in if they thought about the beginning of their career. But when we're talking about, you know, you step back and you, you know, put people first intentionally and you do the, all of that other stuff, the psychology piece comes into play, but so does the teaching degree. Like when I think about how you are, you know, your mind really works in sort of logical, almost like the curriculum, right? This step, this step, this step, got to do this. Um, do you see that? Do you see those those pieces of your education coming into your work now? Absolutely.
1: I mean, a big part of your education degree is learning how people learn, right? And learning that step of processing and being able to intake information and be able to process that into comprehensible pieces of information that they can then work on. So I definitely think that's a big part of it. Um, people think sometimes maybe that an education degree is you're learning grade 10 social studies so you can teach it. And that's really not, they, you actually don't learn your topic. You're supposed to have that before you go. Uh, you learn how people will absorb that information and be able to retain it and then retrieve it, right? So uh, I definitely see that uh, in my role as a leader and also in my role as, um, you know, in the agency and uh, being part of being able to manage some of those crisis things that come up. Do you feel like your strengths are used in your organization? Absolutely. I think my strengths are used. And I think also maybe the pieces that I wouldn't consider are, you know, my, uh, my personality traits initially um, have been able to be developed as well. So,
0: And what's allowed that to happen for you? What, what, what happens in your organization that, that, you know, lets you grow into those strengths? Um, A lot of exposure to different opportunities.
1: Um, I've overseen, you know, more than eight programs in my agency. Um, Also, just the continued um, professional development growth, that's really, um, you know, given to us as a focus. Um, You know, you and I met um, as an opportunity that I was given to do some virtual leadership training when COVID first hit and we had to Uh, move and transition towards being a leader online and leading through zoom and other applications Uh, so I think my agency really focuses on my own professional development as well as gives me a lot of opportunity to be exposed to different programmings and different opportunities yeah
0: yeah the the ongoing growth and development and the support is is fundamental. The other thing we talked about is we were thinking about, you know, how you know, inside the the mind of a leader, like you say there's always crisis and the first response. Actually, I had a leader back in the day when we were trying to we were actually trying to write our critical incident policy and we were like, okay, how do you know when it's a critical incident or not? And she's like, when you say oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> So it became the, oh shit rule. Like when you say, oh shit, you probably need to write a critical incident report. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, you know, we kind of realize that we all go through that, but what happens for many of us is we panic or we shut off that, as we said earlier, sort of the connection to people. You've really worked to hone those thoughts to, to, it's not that those thoughts don't come in. Oh crap. And, I need to get this, this, and this done, still enter into your mind. But you actually manage those thoughts. And, you know, that's how you stay composed. That's how you have the confidence to do the work you do. So when we were talking and preparing, we realized there was three sort of fundamental things that you do to to make this happen. Self-care, self-reflection, and that self-confidence. So let's talk a little bit about self-care. What do you do to make sure that you're taking care of yourself?
1: Um, well, I am lucky enough to own a hot tub. <laughs> and I often, after a long day of work, um, like to relax in the hot tub and just kind of, you know, reflect on the day, uh, but also then let it go, right? So you have to um, let it enter and you have to acknowledge that, but then you also need to let it go. And just having that relaxing time to work through that process, I think is really helpful for me. Um, It also really relaxes me into a good night's sleep. Uh, I love my sleep. I get lots of it. Um, So I think that that also really helps me be in a position where I can react and respond when I need to. Um, And I do love walking as well. Um, I'd like to go, you know, I try to go for a 30-minute walk every day when I can. Um, And I typically do it without music on so that I get to have my own thoughts enter and then release those thoughts as well
0: so yeah I learned that a while back too to not have the headphones or anything and when I'm walking because you're right it's the opportunity to just process sometimes I come up with my best ideas sometimes I release some pretty dark stuff Um, and sometimes I just enjoy the nature scene but Mm -hmm. it allows without you know the the outside influence to come in, I think what a lot of people do, and there's nothing wrong with TV or social media, but we take all of the stress and then we're like, okay, I'm just going to turn it off and I'm just going to numb out. And Brene Brown talks about this, right? This sort of numbing, you know, I'll just watch, Ben's watch Netflix tonight or, you know, I'll put some podcasts and I love podcasts and, you know, Ted talks, all that kind of stuff. But there also has to be time to think and process mm-hmm. and release it. So I think that's so important. So you stay physically active. You're going skiing, hopefully, tomorrow, you said. Yeah. Uh, you also do yoga as well, right? I do. Um,
1: I practice yoga. Uh, typically, I do enjoy doing it in a studio. Um, haven't had that opportunity <laughs> lately. Um, but it's still practicing a little bit at home. And I think that that has really led me to being having those, um, that intentional of, you know, allowing things to enter, but then also allowing them to release. It's a big part of your yoga practice to let that uncomfortness come in and then be able to release it with your breath. So I think definitely my yoga practice over the years has really helped me in building that practice.
0: I talk about meditating, and I think you said you don't meditate, but the walking meditation is a meditation. I taught in, in the training library, I taught a, a webinar on called Breath Magic. And you're right, it's that it's the exhale that actually relaxes us. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. You know, they're like 3D fast. <laughs> 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 I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not going to relax your body. And yeah, it's that letting go piece. And my guess is when you go to your office for 30 seconds when the crisis hits, you probably do a little bit of a... <sighs> Yes. Exhale has to be longer than your inhale because
1: you really need to let it go more than you bring it in. So
0: Say that one more time because I say that, but I think we need to repeat it.
1: So your exhale needs to be longer than your inhale because you need to let it go more than you need to let it in. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's really important. So on that note, what do you do at the office? Because I am in the middle of teaching a course right now called self-care at work. What do you do during during your workday to de-stress, unwind, manage everything? Um, I mean, I'm lucky enough to have a private office, so
1: sometimes it's literally shutting the door. Um, also, uh, I like to get up and, um, you know, go fill my water. Uh, I'll take the long way around the office to go fill my water bottle, um, you know, maybe stop and say hello to some people through their door just to kind of, you know, disconnect from what I was. Doing um, and you know have some of that you know connectedness with others. Um, so I I typically do that. I I walk around a lot, fill my water, water bottle a lot.
0: Water is so important. I you know I don't. I mean I guess coffee's kind of nice and we love our coffee, but water is so critical. And I think a lot of uh, realistically, a lot of people don't drink water because they don't have time to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, you need both. okay so that's self-care self-reflection we talked a little bit about anything else you want to say oh i know what i wanted to highlight you're not a journaler and lots of times i talk to people about you know try this journaling exercise and they're like no 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 no, i'm not a journaler so how do you do that self-reflective piece without journaling um so i think i do it a
1: lot when i'm walking or in the hot tub um i have a habit of when I'm thinking through things in my head, I actually move my mouth. <laughs> so like, I'm actually talking to myself. Um, and some people are like, weird. Like, what's that? What, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm talking to myself. But I think if you're not putting it on paper, or saying it out loud, it can be hard to really focus on it. So I'm not... Typically is making any noises, but my mouth is actually the words that I'm thinking, so
0: <laughs> I think my neighbors think I'm nuts because I do the same thing when I'm walking, and I'm sure like there goes that cra- crazy lady again talking to herself, <laughs> but you to
1: focus on what you're thinking when you're actually formulating the words uh, So,
0: do you ask yourself questions? Oh yeah,
1: many questions,
0: <laughs> yeah. and I think that's the other piece about self reflection is. If you're just sort of, oh my God, they ticked me off and this is horrible and this is awful and you just keep circulating that, you're not actually releasing. And the questions are really powerful for moving you forward. And so I was talking to a leader the other day and she said, why do I keep doing this? And I said, what if you stopped doing it? And she's like, oh, because the why pulls us backwards. But as soon as the what if popped into her head, she's like, yeah, what if? And it just popped her right out of where she was at. And, yeah, she could kind of go to, oh, well, this would happen and this would happen and this would happen, right? So, yeah, just kind of cool way to do it. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add on self-reflection? Um, I think that's it. I know typically some people um,
1: when they're, you know, working along a colleague or whatever, they struggle to maybe find those words about maybe something that didn't go very well or Something like that. And, you know, my colleagues have been great that they'll like say, like, hey, so like, you noticed maybe this wasn't as it. And I'm like, so I know that about myself. <laughs> like, it's okay. Um, I can be pretty loud. I can be pretty passionate. And, uh, you know, that's okay as well. But I know that about myself. So constantly self reflecting on my strengths and how that motivates me and how that gives me the energy to do what I do in my position, but also knowing that there are, um, you know, areas that I can continue to work on and that's okay too. And I'm constantly self-reflecting on both. Um, so, yeah. yeah,
0: I love that because it's true. And if you can take where your strengths are and grow them, but then also take where you're maybe challenged and then apply your strengths more there that is, you know, like, like if if you have the teaching degree and the psychology background and you love the brain injury work and, you know, you've got a, a breathing practice and like you put it all together and you're like, oh, pandemic, now what, right? And you use all of those things to move forward, which the last one was self-confidence, gives you the self-confidence.
1: Talk Absolutely. about that for a
0: minute. um So I think confidence really comes in, not
1: necessarily being in your role for 20 years or having every different situation that you've already handled. I think the confidence comes in knowing your strengths, um, your abilities, knowing how you need to handle different things that, you know, really promote your best. Um, so I think that's where the confidence comes in, is knowing what you can give to a situation and also when you need to ask for help as well.
0: Yeah. Asking for help is so incredibly important and yet creates such vulnerability. What, how do you? How did you figure out what your strengths are? Like, do you do those little self tests or do you just kind of tune in? How do you know what your strengths are? Um, I've done lots of different self
1: tests. Uh, we like to do that, you know, especially if you're starting with a new team, um, it's great to just kind of see where everyone kind of lies um, so that you can, you know, support each other the best you can. Uh, but also, um, I haven't changed much since I was, you know, high school. So I think that it's just uh, instinct personality that I have. Um, I'm the same person in my professional world as I am in my personal world. So I think just uh, spending a lot of time with me, I have realized that these are definitely, it's who I am. And oftentimes it is, you know, my motivator um, and my energy, but also it's definitely an area that I need to, make sure that I'm not only relying
0: on and that I can work on the other pieces as well. Yeah, integrity. That When you just said a minute ago, I am who I am at work and in my personal life, that's when you're actually in integrity. And a lot of people struggle with that. They, they leave work and they sort of take the facade off. And if I seen them you know, interacting with their children or their spouse or their mother, they would be different than in the workplace. And that's hard if you're two different people. Mm-hmm. And so when you can just be you, show up at work as you, show up at home as you, huh, takes a lot less stress off.
1: Yeah, I definitely, uh, I can't change it. <laughs> That's who I am.
0: <laughs> I am who I am. All right, so inside your mind, we've we've kind of got a sense of how you develop the confidence, how you navigate the, the crisis. Anything you want to add as sort of, tidbits or ideas to sort of support other women leaders going through similar challenges? Um, I think just, you know, relying on your past experiences,
1: knowing that you've probably overcome really similar things, even though it might seem a lot different today, um, and that you definitely have the strength and the knowledge to do it. It's just believing in yourself and taking that moment to step back so that you can really set yourself up for success and be composed so that you are the most effective leader you can be. And that it's a continued like growth um, journey. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. It's continued practice and continued reflection on how successful each situation was and how you can continue to improve that. I definitely look at the leaders around me and try to, mimic some of the great things that they do, uh, and try to incorporate that into how I lead, but also, you know, make it my own as well. So
0: yeah, yeah, it is a journey, isn't it? And like, it's never ending. As, you know, someone was saying that the other day, I, I, I'm a work in progress. I'm like, yep, we're all a work in progress. <laughs> and so I think that we also have to be patient with others as well as patient with ourselves. Thank you so much Mary Beth for being on the podcast today can if people want to find you they can find you on LinkedIn right yes I okay. am on LinkedIn um, so definitely feel free to send me a connection
1: and looking forward to you know continuing my leading my leadership journey and also uh, connecting with other women leaders in their journey
0: as well yeah and we'll make sure that we pop the link into your LinkedIn. Uh, site on the podcast notes. Everybody can do that. Thank you again for being brave, being honest, uh, sharing your insights and wisdom. As you know, we all navigate the challenges in leadership because it is a never-ending battle. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, if you found today's episode helpful, then you are going to love the training library. Many women leaders in nonprofits wish that they had a coach or a mentor to help them, but they don't believe that they or their organization can afford it. Oh, but you can. Inside of the training library membership site, you will not only get access to affordable and easily accessible ongoing personal and professional development training, you will also have access to a leadership coach at your fingertips. That way, when you hit those inevitable challenges that leadership will bring your way, you'll have both the resources and the support to navigate your way through them with confidence, composure, and while keeping your integrity intact. To find out more, head to kathyarcher.com slash library. If you are enjoying the show, I'd love it if you could leave me a comment or a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Go make the rest of your day awesome.